0: Can spirits of the dead interact with the living? This is Mark Lyon. Welcome to The Other Realm. Throughout my life, I have collected true accounts left to us by those who have inadvertently crossed the invisible threshold from our world into the realm of the supernatural and returned to tell the tale. These are their stories. We often think of ghosts as fleeting images of light or shadow, or at best as murky transparent figures, but sometimes A ghost may appear to be so substantial that one would never suspect that what is being observed is not a normal living entity, and sometimes such a ghost may actually interact with the living. Consider the case of a young Englishman by the name of Stone, who one day in the 1850s made his way to a stationer's shop in the town in which he resided. As he approached the shop, his thoughts ran not to the catalogues he had been sent to order by his employers for an upcoming auction of hides, but instead to a wager he was considering placing on a particular horse at the St. Ledger races, which were just a week away, as he was unsure of his choice. He decided that after concluding his business with the stationer, he should look up a friend whom he knew to be knowledgeable as to the individual merits of the horses which would be running. It was then that to his surprise and delight, he encountered an old man who had, in previous years, managed a nearby pub and inn, and who had, for years, bought his ale from Stone's father, a local brewer. Although he had not seen or even thought about the innkeeper for years, seeing him brought back memories of how, as a boy, his father would often send him to collect whatever the man might owe for his ale. A jovial, easygoing, and well-liked man, the innkeeper was impossible to mistake for anyone else in his well-known coat, accented by his heavy gold watch chain his rosy face framed by his customary round felt hat and silk scarf blue with white polka dots and emerging from the right sleeve of his coat was the iron hook which took the place of a hand which had been lost in his youth a hook which proved quite useful on those occasions when he needed to deal with a rowdy customer The old man smiled in recognition as Stone reached out and shook his friend's left hand. As the innkeeper was known to be wise in the ways of horse racing, Stone was quick to get the man's opinion as to which horses were likely to prove the most successful. After conversing around seven minutes, the two men again shook hands and Stone proceeded on to the stationers. It was only after he had made his order, left the shop, and arrived back at the very place at which he had met the innkeeper, that he inexplicably stopped and remembered that the old man had died four years before. He knew this to be true, for he himself had attended the man's funeral. As he stood there on the street, trembling, he tried to make sense of what, as impossible as it seemed, Actually, had occurred. There could have been no mistaking his old friend, and others passing by on the busy street must have seen the man as well. For if he'd stood there on the street for several minutes talking to himself and shaking hands with no one to be seen, a crowd of laughing onlookers would surely have gathered about him. Stone was not a man given to a belief in the supernatural but try as he might, he was never able to come up with a natural explanation for what he had experienced. From that day to this, he later wrote, I still remain in profound ignorance of what was the cause or the meaning of what I saw. but all that happened so very long ago you may be saying to yourself well a more recent and far more baffling event of this kind occurred in 1980 when a construction worker named reg blake and a friend were repairing the roof of the small st barnabas church on the isle of wight they were both up on the roof when a petite elderly lady came by carrying a vintage style aluminum thermos. Hello up there, the lady called out to them. I thought you might like some tea. You don't need to come down. I shall leave it for you in the church. I live just a little ways from here, and you can bring me back the flask when you're done with it. They thanked the lady, took down her address, and a while after she had left, they climbed down from the roof. They each poured themselves a cup from the thermos. The tea was stone cold, and it tasted terrible to boot. It tasted so awful that they unceremoniously disposed of it. When they finished their day's work, Reg's friend went to the address the lady had given to them to return the thermos. But when he arrived there, there was no house to be seen. Only an empty lot. He could, however, plainly see that a house had once stood upon the property. The next day, when the church warden came by to check on how their work was progressing, they told him about the elderly lady. Where did she say she lived, the church warden inquired. Upon hearing the address, he replied, That was my predecessor. She died three years ago twelve years later the church was deconsecrated and turned into a fresh produce market when the isle of wight historian and author Gay baldwin asked the owner of the market if he had been visited by the elderly lady with the old-fashioned thermos he answered no but if she does come by i won't be drinking her tea such inexplicable encounters with the dead can sometimes be even more disconcerting consider the story told by the composer paul lebrun at a fashionable parisian soiree in the year nineteen thirteen, a story concerning david saunt a british portrait painter who was working in paris at the time a tale which to some may sound too fantastical to be believed. But, before you dismiss his story as a mere fantasy, I would remind you of Shakespeare's observation. There are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in our philosophies. While making his way through the darkened streets of the fashionable Le Marais district late one night, David Sont stopped for several moments, transfixed by the unexpected image of a young woman faintly discernible under the flickering flame of a nearby gas lamp. She was, perhaps, not more than twenty years of age, and was dressed in a coarsely woven black robe, her golden hair accenting her remarkably pale skin, a wistful, far-away look in her sad azure eyes surely she must be in some sort of trouble the artist thought to himself are you all right mademoiselle he asked may i be of some assistance perhaps you might allow me to escort you home that is very kind of you monsieur she answered but where i must go would take you far out of your way very far indeed. There was something about her, something more than mere beauty which called out to his artistic nature, and without thinking of the audacity of his request, he impetuously blurted out, I must paint your portrait. Would it be possible for you one day to sit for me? I am afraid, monsieur, she answered, that would be impossible. To paint a portrait would require several sittings, and I shall be here for only this night. Where I shall be tomorrow or the day thereafter is not for me to know. Then you must sit for me tonight, the artist pleaded. I promise, I shall complete your portrait before the night is out. It was a mad plan, but his entreaties were so fervent and so clearly heartfelt that at last the young lady relented and made her way with him to his studio. As the artist prepared his canvas and set about deciding upon the perfect pose, he asked if his guest might like a glass of wine, or perhaps something to eat. No, she gently replied, it is not my custom to partake of food or drink this late at night. But you are so very pale and seems so sad are you ill is there nothing i might do for you the artist asked no she answered i am not ill merely tired so very tired and there's nothing anyone can do to help me but you must hurry with your work for my time here is limited and i must be gone before the break of day as his work progressed from charcoal sketch to the first strokes of paint he marveled at the contrast between the rough weave and crude stitching of her robe and the fragile beauty of her porcelain-like skin the perfect white teeth which would appear momentarily during an occasional brief smile and the slender sensually seductive fingers which seemed to be reaching out for an unobtainable something she wore a wide high collar like black band round her neck which the artist felt spoiled the beauty of her delicately slender neck and he asked if she might remove it no i can't she responded in a voice tinged with panic i have a sore throat the night is cold And I'm so cold, always so very cold. As he continued working, the artist fell deeper and deeper under his model's spell and longed to know everything about her. You aren't French, he ventured. I can tell that. Where are you from? I was Scandinavian, she answered. What do you mean, was Scandinavian? I really don't know. I don't know what I am anymore or where I belong. I know only that I am here with you tonight. But where I shall be or what I shall be once this night is over, only God, or perhaps the devil, can say. None of this made even the slightest bit of sense but then neither did the fact that with each brushstroke and with each dab of color applied to his canvas, he was drifting hopelessly in love with the mysterious woman posing before him. Working with a ferocity and a passion he had never known before, the work was quickly accomplished. The final touches applied just before dawn broke upon the city. It was a masterpiece. And when his subject was finally allowed to see it, no one could have been more pleased. It is wonderful. You have captured my soul, my true soul. Perhaps one day it will hang in a great gallery, and people, when they see it, will think of me not as I was, for I was what you might call notorious. But perhaps... They will see me as you have seen me. Perhaps it will one day make you immortal. And perhaps it will one day serve to make me immortal as well. How I should love that. Notorious, the artist mused. Now I have it. You are an actress. We are all actors of one kind or another. Are we not? She answered. "'But now I must go.' "'But you can't just leave,' he pleaded. "'I don't even know your name.' "'You shall know it soon enough,' she answered as she opened the door before turning back and adding, "'One day we shall meet again. "'But until then, "'the memory of this night must be enough.' "'No sooner had she left "'than the artist sprang to the door "'and ran after her. "'But somehow,' She had in an instant vanished into the morning air. It was later that afternoon that the commissaire of police arrived at the artist's studio to sit for a portrait. What an extraordinary likeness of Elsa Peterson, he exclaimed, gazing at the newly painted canvas which still remained on the easel. How and where did you come to meet her? Last night, On the street in Le Marais? No, seriously, laughed the commissaire. How did you come to know her? It was exactly as I have told you, the artist replied. But that is impossible. You could not have met Elsa Peterson last night in Le Marais, or anywhere else for that matter. Then you must be mistaken, the artist countered. Perhaps the woman I met only looks like this Elsa Peterson you speak of. No, there can be no mistake. You've captured her perfectly, right down to her robe. A robe which I know only too well. All that is, except for the black band around her neck. No, it is Elsa. There can be no doubt about it. But then perhaps you wouldn't know about her. How long have you been in France? Only three months. Ah, that explains it then. If you had been here a year ago, you would not have been able to escape knowing of Elsa Peterson. Then I was right, the artist exclaimed. She is an actress. And by what you say, a famous actress well you might say she was an actress an actress of a sort and i was there for her final performance but i would not call her famous infamous would be the word she was convicted of murder she poisoned her poor mother and father and strangled her husband all for the insurance money of course she claimed to be innocent but then Who can trust a woman of that sort? Now, let me see. Ah, yes. If I remember correctly, it was exactly one year ago last night that she gave her farewell performance, sharing the stage with Madame la Guillotine. The Other Realm is a production of Wind Whistle Theatre. Our music was composed by Dan Heflin. Support for The Other Realm has been provided by HauntedIsles.com, offering private and small group tours of haunted Britain and Ireland, and by Heftone Studios, producers of Phantoms of the Holbrook a docudrama relating true events occurring at what well may be the most haunted hotel in the entire world, and Natalie, a modern retelling of the German legend of the Lorelei, and by Windwhistle Press, publishers of Jesse Adelaide Middleton's classic trilogy of true tales of the supernatural, The White Ghost Book, The Grey Ghost Book, and its sequel, Another Grey Ghost Book, and Lep Castle, The House of Horrors, by Mildred Darby, and San Francisco Ghosts, by Mark Lyon.